Hi, my name is Melissa K. Jones, founder of Little Black Desk Society and host of Women Who Excel. Women Who Excel is a leadership podcast featuring conversations with female founders to encourage excellence in leadership when serving our community, industry, and teams. I am excited to bring you a diverse group of women from different industries and backgrounds. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Melissa with the Little Black Desk Society, and today Mallory and Sam are joining us for Women Who Excel, and love for you to meet them. Mallory, may I introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Mallory Mava. I own Form Floral, Hot Strike, and Phoenix Flower Crowns. Um, I guess that's me. Well, wow, it's like real quick intro there. <laughs> Who do you primarily serve? with those companies? Uh, we mainly work with both sides of the event industry. So Hot Strike serves the vendor side, Form Floral is, uh, we work with both corporations and individuals to throw events and weddings. And then Phoenix Flower Crown, um, we, we do a lot of parties with it. So lots of like bachelorette parties, bridal showers, baby showers, that kind of thing. Awesome, love it. Sam, tell us a little bit about you and your business. Yeah, my name is Sam Thompson, and I own a candle company called Standard Wax, and we are, I would say, like a 50-50 split of wholesale and retail, so we hit both sides of commerce, selling direct to consumer and then also to other stores that resell our products. Love it. Well, digging right into today's topic about creating an impact in the creative entrepreneur world as a teacher, what are some of the specific problems that both of you have seen or experienced with educational events in the industry? Do you want to kick it off since I introduced myself? Oh, wow. How polite of you. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest thing that I would say both Mallory and I have noticed in our time in the biz um, when it comes to people educating other people is just the idea that somebody jumps into being a teacher before they're fully educated themselves, I would say. So maybe they started, I don't know, like as a florist doing flowers in their kitchen and everything was great and they thought this is really fun. I think I'll teach other people how to do this when they're not really fully running their own business the way it needs to be run to begin with. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that happens? that is probably the main problem. Just like a blind leading the blind situation. (laughs) Why do you think that happens? So in my opinion, I feel like teaching is really trendy right now. And so I think that a lot of people get into their business. They maybe have like six months to a year under their belt and they're seeing all of these educators who are generating a pretty substantial income through teaching, running a business is generally pretty difficult. And what Sam and I do specifically is very labor intensive. So I think it also has this appeal of like, oh my God, I like don't have to lift heavy buckets of flowers. I could just like tell other people how to lift heavy buckets of flowers and then I'll make so much money and I don't have to like leave my couch to do it. Um, 
So I think that there is this appeal of like, well, I'll just jump straight to the educating phase because the actual day-to-day grind of running a business is not glamorous. And once you realize that, you're like, how do I get out? (laughs) Send me free. Yeah. Looking for, you know, (laughs) another stream of revenue. It seems like an easy way to make more money is to just teach somebody else to do what you're doing. And like Mallory said, it's very trendy right now. So I feel like everywhere you look on the internet, you see ads for workshops and classes and downloads and webinars and stuff like that. So it's definitely trending. Oh yeah. I agree. And I think that points to what Mallory was talking about as an additional revenue stream. And so if that's a possibility and it's a different kind of work outside of the manual labor that's required, if you're in that type of field, then it can definitely be more attractive what do you think are the challenges then or the problems that are created when business owners do this and how does it then impact not only themselves but also their clients and then the industry as a whole i have really strong opinions on this particular question (laughs) um Again, I really can speak mostly to my own industry, although I do have a little bit of a background in marketing, so I, I've experienced the education in that realm as well. Um, but I find that when you jump into education too early in your career path before you're fully educated, like Sam was saying, uh, you haven't had the time to learn your hard lessons yet. So if you aren't pricing appropriately or if you are working out of your home and you don't understand the realities of paying rent every month to somebody or paying for a workman's comp and if you don't have any employees, there's all of these phases of your business that maybe you haven't experienced yet. So I I think the main issue for us is pricing, right? So like because you haven't had the frame of reference of I need to account for all of these other uh, variables in my pricing, any guidance that you're giving to people on running a business is going to fall short because you are inexperienced yourself. So the way that this has played out in my industry is I am now competing with a lot of people who are dramatically underpriced in their work because they just don't know any better and because they're getting bad information from people who also don't know any better. And so it creates this horrible race to the bottom of people who are now like, oh, their prices are a little bit lower than mine. Like, I don't have any rent, so I can just like cut my prices a little bit. And we're all working a ton and people are burning themselves out because their structure isn't set up to be sustainable. Yeah, I think we also see like these success stories of oh this com- this company like came out of nowhere, they blew up, they're so big, they're so successful, and it's kind of like Mallory was saying, maybe it's because they're charging way less than they need to be because they're working out of their house and they don't have employees and they're doing all of the labor themselves. So it looks on paper like they're doing fantastic. Mm-hmm when, like Mallory said, they haven't really learned the lessons that they need to learn to be able to teach somebody else to successfully and sustainably do what they are trying to do. I agree. I think those are some great points. What do you think feeds this challenge of the blind leading the blind, per se, or the wrong information because, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, because a lot of times I hear that you can, if you're one step ahead of somebody else, then you can share what you've learned with them. And so people have heard that and they've taken it literally and then (laughs) taught somebody else exactly where they're at because that 
person's coming in, let's say I have six months on somebody else, I can tell them what I've already learned. Sure. I actually agree with that. Um, I think that's so great as a, a one-to-one mentality. Um, I certainly wouldn't be where I'm at today if people hadn't pulled me aside and been like, Hey, I'm only in this a year longer than you, but like, let's grab a beer and I'm going to just make sure that you're on the straight and narrow so that like your business can continue to flourish. And even now, you know, we have our lady group that we meet once a month and like, we're all pretty close in where we are in our businesses. But the information is so valuable because maybe somebody's one step ahead in one regard and we're able to share that back and forth. I think the main difference is none of us are charging people for this information. So I'm not positioning myself professionally as an educator, but absolutely, if somebody approaches me who's maybe six months behind me, two years behind me, and they want to know where I was at then and maybe how to avoid some of those pitfalls, I think that's more of a conversation that you have just out of a love for the industry and wanting everything to flourish than trying to like make a dollar off of somebody because you maybe have like one to two more experiences than they do. I also think it feels really good to be able to help somebody. Like you said, even if you're only one tiny step ahead of them, somebody comes to you and you're like, Oh my God, I know the answer to that question. I've been there. I've done it. Like I can help you. That feels really good. So Mm -hmm. maybe that feeling could be, motivation for somebody to think like, oh, I could do this. I could make money doing this. I could start a business teaching other people what I know because I'm so helpful to these few people that have come to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. I enjoy helping others as well. And I agree, like it fuels you and it gives you additional passion, motivation for your craft and for what you do. I think I want to dig a little deeper into what you said, like the one-to-one because of the ladies group that you women have, but then also the difference of charging. So I'm curious on your thought is when it's just, let's say your group and you're helping each other up, there's probably more likelihood that you're going to come back and share like, okay, this is where I messed. This is what I told you. This is what didn't work. And I messed up and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen to you as well, because you have that relationship where you're comfortable saying like, okay, this didn't work. And I want to backtrack on what I told you before. Whereas maybe if you're paying for something and you've positioned yourself as an expert and you find out later it doesn't work, then the ego and a lot of other things can come into play about correcting yourself to people that have already paid you. How do you think that that affects the dynamic of sharing and helping others within the industry? I feel like in my experience, like taking classes and getting education from other people, I've never seen somebody come back and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong. So I I feel like that could be really damaging to the whole idea of education is just the fact that we all have to put on this persona that we're the expert and we know what we're talking about. And I could never dare go back and say, you know what? I was wrong. You should try this instead. Sorry, I led you in the wrong direction. So I feel like that could be damaging to somebody trying to learn something if they're like, well, she told me to do this. She told me this was the way to do it. And I'm just going to keep plugging along when the person who taught them is over here like, oops, well, that didn't work. Not going to do it that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, again, with like our girl gang, because you touched on that a little bit in your question. So that relationship is huge and we do, we meet monthly. And so there's also that consistency which is lacking in a lot of these programs where you're 
you know, like signing up for something online or going to a workshop, there's no consistency there. They don't know the specific struggles of your business for the most part, whereas we do. So we have like Google Docs that we share so we can check in at any point and be like, okay, where was Sam last month? Where is Sam going this month? And we have that consistency and accountability that's kind of baked into our format. And I really do that. That makes a huge difference in being able to be really transparent. We'll definitely throw ideas at each other and um, advice at each other. And if it's wrong or if we learn a lesson the hard way, um, we, I, well, I guess I'll speak for myself, Sam as well, but like, I have no shame in coming back and being like, I, that was a mess. And like, please no one do it. Oh yeah. We've all done it. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know I recommended this mm -hmm. software, this person or whatever, but I've been using them for six months now and they're trash and please <laughs> avoid at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. So the, having that relationship is huge and you know, we've, we're all about five to seven years into our businesses. So I think that with that time, we're all more willing to admit when we've gone horribly awry. So it's easier uh, just because of where we're at in our companies, which circles back to don't educate before you have these experiences of just knowing that like, hey, like a failure is not shameful and like we all fail all the time and being able to own up to that and then just move through it without carrying that with you. I completely agree. And I want to sort of summarize what you said. I think the context that happens within your ladies group is important. And that's how you're able to have those conversations and be able to give the feedback, but also to make corrections as needed. Whereas if you're going into an educational event, there's no context, like you're just showing up. And so you as a business owner, if you're the attendee, have to be able to grow identify what's needed and what's relevant to your business. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes that can be challenging. And I'm glad you touched on that. I don't want this conversation to steer away from educational events because I think that there's value in them. I think what Mallory is pointing out to is the benefit of people knowing the context of your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it goes back to what we talked about, like one-to-one -one education versus one to who knows how many people type of education. I think those are two very different ways to go about seeking help from other people. Yeah. I agree. And then also you had mentioned the years. I think the years is valuable to an analogy to connect that to is I think even in say the workforce, if you're working like a nine to five position, you don't immediately go into management or to leadership and start leading a team, or there's very few occasions where you do. Typically, you start out in an entry-level position so you can understand the groundwork, the front line, understand the customers, and the operations before you go into a role to help your team succeed. Mm -hmm. And I think the same can be said for teaching in the creative industry. Yeah. So we've talked on this a little bit, bits and pieces already in the conversation. Um, what was it like for you when you started building your business? And what challenges did you incur in learning new skills? And how did you find out how to overcome them? Like what resources did you use? So many challenges. <laughs> Still right now. Yeah, always, <laughs> always. You're always learning, right? Uh-huh, always yeah. learning. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it makes you want to cry. <laughs> Sometimes you are crying while you're learning lessons. 
Um, my, my specific background, I grew up in a really entrepreneurial family. So I feel like I had the lucky vantage point of watching the adults in my life, try things, fail, go through the tough times, go through the really great times. And just kind of knowing that eventually if you are running a business that has like morals and you know, you're pricing appropriately and you treat the people that you work with respectfully, that you, you can weather those highs and lows and it all kind of evens out over time. Um, so when I first started my business, my dad was a huge resource for me because he had run a business for nearly 30 years in, you know, the same city that I was starting my company in. So even things as far as like, what do, what do I do with taxes? What kind of licenses do I need? Those like very basic elements, he was kind of able to guide me through that in the early days. And then I definitely have spent a pretty penny on workshops, some good, most not so good. <laughs> um, so I've, I've learned the hard way with like paying for classes that maybe aren't worth the money that I spent on them. And that's, I mean, like now I know I'm much more careful about where I invest in education now and how I kind of knowing the kind of help I need before I just blindly am buying courses. What's one thing that you would advise somebody else coming up through the years as far as how to discern what type of events to attend or what type of courses to purchase? Okay, this is going to sound really bad, <laughs> but in the creative industry specifically, I would advise people to spend money on business-related classes before design-related classes any day because the end of the day like you are set apart because of your creativity and even if you aren't maybe like the most technically skilled designer you can kind of fight your way through that and learn on the spot but the things that you really are going to need the help with and they're not glamorous they're not instagrammable classes you aren't going to go to like an arizona tax class and selfie yourself like you know in the <laughs> atmosphere but you know i and I just today finished paying off back taxes that existed as a result of me not knowing how to file my taxes for years. So I was just doing it wrong. I was doing it, but really wrong. And like finally hired professionals to come in and help me. But like if I had from the get, you know, invested in that kind of education, I would be so much farther along now. But instead I was, you know, like how to design a centerpiece. I took so many classes like that and I'm like, man, I was already making and selling centerpieces. What I really needed to know was, you know, how to <laughs> hire employees and how to write a job description and all of like those business things were, would have been much more important. I mean, the boring, hard foundation. The, yeah. The boring stuff is really, that's my advice would be invest there. And if you are investing in the creative side, like do your homework and not all artists are meant to be teachers. And I've taken my fair share of classes from designers who are very famous on the internet and are incredibly talented at what they do and cannot tell you how they do it. Um, and there's, you know, that's great. Like if you are an artist and you're not a teacher, that's wonderful, but you shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> no, that's good. Sam? Yeah. So to go back to, I guess, what it was like starting my business, it was different from Mallory's. I didn't really have anyone to look up to like, like she did. It wasn't like my family was my inspiration or anything like that. I kind of 
graduated from college in the depth of a recession and nobody was hiring. Um, so I kept working for these tiny little companies um, who were all kind of in startup mode. And I would say I learned a lot from them, but the whole time I was working these jobs, I just kept thinking like I could do this better. Like I want to do this for myself. Why am I doing it for this other person when I can do it for myself? So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't like, growing up all my life being a little girl who hoped one day to make candles. Um, so the whole candle part of the business kind of just fell into my lap. Um, but it was finally my opportunity to actually like start a business and sell something and make a living doing something that I was making on my own. Um, so it's not the fact that, you know, I was super passionate about making candles. It just happened that way. Um, but when it happens that way, there's a huge learning curve, A, for learning how to make candles, and then B, like Mallory was talking about learning how to, you know, get a business license and file taxes and uh, get a trademark for your name so nobody else rips you off and just all of this crazy stuff that you could muddle your way through Google trying to figure it all out, but you're probably going to find wrong information, you're going to do it wrong, and like Mallory said, you'll pay for it emotionally and financially. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess just from the beginning, learning and knowing how to ask for help was like the biggest lifesaver for me. Those are really great insights. And I agree. Definitely there's the emotional pain that comes with growing a business. And then also something else that you had just mentioned is being able to ask for help. I think a lot of entrepreneurs for various reasons, I know I have been guilty of this and I'm still working through it, is being able to ask for help. Because I think depending on your personality, you want to be able to figure it out on your own. You don't want to appear less than um, a lot of different reasons. And asking for help and working with others who've been there before you, like we touched on earlier, helps take you further, faster, and do it well. What do you think has been one of the most effective lessons you've learned along the way so far in your business journey? Like if for both of you, if there was just one that stood out. For me, I would say learning how to outsource things. Um, it seems really daunting at first to outsource we keep going back to these things, but I guess they're so important taxes and payroll and, you know, just all of these things that I, I didn't go to school to be an accountant. That is not my job. I don't, I'm not an expert in that area. So it, it seems expensive or scary or whatever to outsource that job to somebody else. But I got advice one time to just, you know, go ahead and jump in and outsource these things that you're not good at. And I think, the first step is realizing that you're not good at it and not just thinking, hey, I can do everything myself because I own a business and that's who I am. Um, but once you outsource things that are sucking up all of your time and you're probably doing them wrong anyway, you free up so much time to do the stuff that you're actually good at that's gonna propel your business forward. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. How many years in were you when you had that realization or did you know off the bat to outsource? I did not know off the bat, no. Because <laughs> first of all, I was like, I don't have any money. I can't pay somebody to do my taxes. That's insane. But if you pay someone to do your taxes, they get done right. You don't owe extra money to the government at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, it all pays off in the end. So I, I would say it was probably... I was probably a good like three years in before I learned that hard lesson. 
That's well, congratulations on that lesson. <laughs> no. uh, I think for me, um, again, like when you're in a creative industry, there's this, uh, there's a lot of shame around money. And I very much didn't think that I carried that shame, but I definitely do. And I also, there's like the idea of like the starving artist. So I feel like people who go into a creative profession, when you're not making any money, you just like assume that that's because like you're an artist and it's the life that you've signed up for. Um, but when I realized that if you price appropriately, it literally just gives you the opportunity to keep doing the kind of work that you're doing, that blew my mind. It completely changed my perspective on everything. And I really don't, I don't feel guilt about our pricing at this point. And it's like, we're finally priced appropriately in such a way that I can pay my bills and eat consistently, <laughs> like the basics. Um, but really that just that shift of framework of going from like, Oh my God, like our markup on this, you know, I don't deserve to be walking away with X number of dollars. And then realizing that if I don't walk away with X number of dollars, then I don't get to keep being a florist. Um, it made it really easy for me to charge what we need to be charging. And also for those that are listening, you have a team too. So it allows you to pay them. Yes. Yeah. And I also, that's a responsibility and an, ugh, an honor. That sounds really cheesy, but like I do, I feel so insanely honored that I'm in a position where I can create work for people that are not me. Um, <laughs> It's very cool. It's cool. I feel like starting a business and being able to sustain other employees and, you know, we like to hire women and minorities because they're badass and I feel like they don't get enough chances maybe in corporate America. And so just that I get to decide that and create that framework is something that I think is very cool. I love that. So where are both of you at today in your business? What practices do you have in place for ongoing education? so you can continue to excel in whatever type of education that may be, whether it's, you know, yourself, things that you're doing, whether it's people that you've surrounded yourself with, what practices do you have in place? For me, I think the biggest thing is, we touched on it earlier, but this, this little group of lady business owners that we put together, um, it's been a game changer really, just to have somebody else holding you accountable. Um, it's easy to set goals, but it's not easy to follow through with them. So having somebody kind of on your back every month asking you if you did all these things you promised you were going to do is so helpful for me. I know not everybody needs that constant motivation from somebody else, but I certainly do. So I feel like that has been a big game changer, just surrounding myself with people who actually care about my success and who want to see me succeed. Um, that feels really good. And as far as where our business is at right now, I feel like, what are we, seven years in now? And I feel like I'm finally at a place where everything just feels right. Like it feels good. We have, you know, a team of people that work for me, but then also a team of people who don't work for me, like accountants and lawyers and consultants and people like that who I can go to with questions. Um, so just, the perfect group of people that make me feel comfortable. I sleep at night, which is huge. Um, everything just feels good. That's awesome. And something that you had said is you have people that are working for you and then people that work with you. So people that work for you are employees or, okay. 
I just want to distinguish that for our listeners, especially in the creative sphere, because a lot of people have independent contractors and there's a big difference in how you build your team. And I know Mallory, you have employees, correct? I, we actually have both. So we have, I've got two employees that are with me, um, always. And then we definitely have, you know, really busy seasons where we bring in a whole team of independent contractors as well to get like our particularly large events out the door. Perfect. Yeah. I just feel like there's this, this idea that, oh, in in order to be successful, I have to grow my business as huge and, and as big as I possibly can. But I think there's this idea of just growing smarter and, you know, hiring employee wise, the people that you actually need, but then having this other huge team of people all around you, like my friends that own businesses that help me or consultants that I've hired or accountants, just other professionals that are part of our team, but you know, not directly employed by me. That makes sense. That's good. Yeah. I really, something that Sam just kind of touched on was like the idea that you have to just like grow, 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 have an empire, hire a million people and blah, blah, blah. I think that around the same time, Sam and I both hit a wall and we were like, I don't, like this. <laughs> I don't want to run an empire. I don't want to manage hundreds of employees. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I always go back to the reason that I started my company was because I was working for a business where their work weeks were, all the people above me were working, you know, 90 plus hours every week and they didn't sleep and they were eating really poorly. And just like watching the impact that that had on them, I was like, I will never, I have no interest. I want to live my life. And, you know, I, my dad got sick and passed away and like going through that as well. I was like, you aren't guaranteed a retirement. You aren't guaranteed your like later years to relax. You have to build that into your every day. So whenever I start coming up against a wall of, you know, working too much, or I'm sacrificing things that bring me a lot of joy in my personal life, to be at the office all the time. That for me is always a sign of like, I need to outsource something or we need to refocus what we're doing because that's not why I'm doing this work. I'm not here to work 24 seven. I'm not trying to like build, you know, a a floral empire (laughs) around the world. Like we wanna do good work and we wanna do work that keeps my team and myself employed. And that's plenty. That's what we're looking to do. Yeah, I feel like and I'm sure every little business owner has gone through this, but there's this phase where you're comparing yourself to everybody else. You're seeing these other companies on Instagram who are hiring and growing and they moved into a new warehouse and they got this huge account and like this was happening and you just think, oh my God, I like they did it. I can do it. Like I can be just like them. Mm -hmm. And then you start rolling down that path and you realize like, oh, I don't want to be like them. Like that's great that that's working for them, but that's not what's going to work for my lifestyle. So I think being able to realize what your priorities are is huge. Yeah. And I love that you ladies touched on that. I want to reemphasize that for people that are listening is that you get to define what success looks like for your business. And it's not the same as anybody else. And then also to remembering why you started your business. Mm-hmm. And I know you really nailed that hammer or nailed. Yeah. <laughs> nailed that <laughs> Yeah. I also, with the comparison, it's important to just always remember that like what is on the internet is not always real. And so, you know, you just don't know anybody's situation. So we had our slowest year ever last year, but because I had so much time, our social media was popping. (laughs) So like anytime I ran into people, they were like, oh, you seem slammed. And I was like, we are not, we are so slow right now. So there's, 
you see people hiring people and getting these big deals, but like, you don't know, maybe, maybe they took a lot of bad workshops and they're not priced appropriately and they're not making any money on anything that they do. And they're working 24 seven. So like, it is really easy for something to seem shiny on the internet when the reality is anything, but so I feel like for me, I, whenever I find myself being like, Oh God, like they got that job and I really wanted to get that job. I'm like, if it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. And just kind of like finding my peace and always recentering of like, why am I doing this work? And am I achieving that goal? And if it's a yes, then like, I just let it go. For me, I even tried to wrap those people that I was comparing myself to kind of like into my inner circle. So I would never be ashamed to reach out and be like, Hey, I own this company. Like, I think what you're doing is really great. Um, and just kind of get to know them a little more. And the more you get to know the people behind these brands, they'll start sharing with you like, oh yeah, that deal was great. It made us a lot of money, but I didn't sleep for six weeks and you know, everything was terrible. So I think also just, you know, having those real conversations with people helps a lot. I agree. I believe that there's a lot of cognitive dissonance between what we see online and how we perceive it versus the real story behind the scenes and the context mm -hmm. of what surrounds the situation. Um, You'd talked about your lady group, and I know we've talked about it throughout our conversation. We really love it. We're obsessed. Sam has a tattoo. <laughs> I love it for you, ladies. So I know other people will be curious about how you came together and how you created it. So do you want to touch on that just quickly? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it because Sam did it, and she's going to tell the story in a way that's too humble. Uh, so Samantha and, um, a former member of the group, I think you guys were just like at a social event, but they were chatting about business and they were like, we really wish that there was like a group of people that we could just share everything with. We were all solo business owners. And so I think initially when you pitched the idea to me, you wanted to, to be like a board of directors almost of like, we're going to share finances. We're going to share marketing information. We're going to share like the nitty gritty and it's just going to be everything is on the table so that we can actually help each other out. So we all started meeting um, four years ago, three years ago. It's been a really long time. <laughs> um, and it's gone through a lot of different formats as we kind of figure out what worked best. And I think that even now it's interesting. Sam had said that like she loves the accountability of like having somebody on her back every month. And that does nothing to motivate me. I don't know why I like couldn't care less if I like let them down air quotes because I'm really not right. Like they're just there to support me. But the part that I love is like, it forces me every single month to like sit my ass down and like write goals down. And you always like, there are things that you know you should be doing and that you want to be doing, but you don't necessarily make time for it. And I like that for me, it has forced me to create that space and to like actually track those things because that is not one of my strong suits. And then I love, you know, we celebrate each other's successes and we cry with each other when we're going through tough spots. And most we, meetings involve tears. If someone cries every meeting, sometimes we all cry in a meeting for our own reasons, or maybe somebody's having a particularly good cry and like, we're just ladies and we all just like our tears immediately form. Um, but Sam is really the glue of the group. And so she, has created the worksheets that we fill out and she's the one who is always making sure that like we have things scheduled and we schedule stuff out really far in advance so there's no excuse for missing meetings. Um, 
and it's just, yeah, it's been really, really huge. We have a text thread that never, ever stops. <laughs> so there's just like, we, we have this like cheerleading section because of this group that is like, it's life changing. I can't even rem- remember what it was like before. Oh no. No. <laughs> I love it. So, so Sam, how did you decide who to pick? I know Mallory said you were at an event, but with that initial concept of board of directors, like were you looking for particular women that you thought were skilled in areas or just women that you connected with? Like, I think a mix of both. I think I, the thing that was most important to me is that it wasn't just like a bunch of other people that created products, had a, like a product-based business, or it wasn't just a bunch of people in the wedding industry so that people with different experiences and different points of view could all help each other. Um, So we have a really wide range of people. I think we have two people make products, two people are kind of more event-based and we have a photographer right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just making sure we were well-balanced. I remember talking to a friend who owned a way bigger company than mine and he was talking about his board of directors and I was just like, I'm jealous. I want that. Like, I know I did this because I wanted to be my own boss, but I also wish there was someone who would come in and be real with me and look at a financial report or look at something I did and be like, why did you do that? You can't do that. Um, or, you know, just someone to tell me good job when I do something good. Because when you work for yourself, it can get real lonely mm-hmm. with nobody giving you any criticism or praise. Yeah. And you have, you know, like your friends and family tend to sugarcoat things and so actually one of my favorite parts of the group is when I pitch something and they're all like that's stupid don't do that (laughs) it's really refreshing because you often as like a independent business owner people are just like oh my god you're so amazing that's so great I love that idea it's awesome and like there's no nobody's really invested in giving you that hard feedback And so I'm really like when those girls are like, I don't think this is a good idea or I did that and it failed horribly. And here's why I it's advice that I take to heart. And I'm really, really grateful to be able to build off of the hard things that they've gone through so that I don't necessarily have to do it myself all the time. I agree. I love that. And I think to what you said, like having people that challenge you to do your best work and will also not let you do the easy, mediocre stuff. Like they want to see you succeed and excel. So recently I read an article on how, talking about education, how Netflix is killing college education. And there were several points that stuck out in the article that sort of correlate to the education events that you talked about earlier. And so I want to share those with you and then see what your thoughts are on them. The first one is binging through sessions without creating time to practice and or reflect on what was learned. Multitasking with attendees, meaning that they were encouraged to create and share content to social media, Instagram typically, during events which distract from the learning of the participant but benefit the person who's leading the workshop. And then the choice paralysis, which contributes then to FOMO, fear of missing an opportunity, whether by letting them register without commitment to completion, or choosing courses without showing any real progression in their learning. Um, And all of these things favoring attention for the facilitator and the teacher versus actually learning in the comprehension of the student or the attendee. What are your thoughts on that? 
I think it goes kind of back to what we talked about earlier about how to choose different types of workshops mm -hmm. that might be good for you. I remember in the early days, you just wanted to take all the beautiful, pretty workshops where, you know, see and be seen, cool gift bag, um, bag. photo ops. <laughs> But though, like those, I don't remember anything I learned at them. Some of the best workshops I've ever taken, I almost didn't want to take because they didn't seem glamorous and exciting and beautiful. But I learned so much from those workshops. So yeah, I think that's really interesting. The idea of, I don't know, I, Netflix. It's yeah. the Netflix of, of learning, which is crazy. Well, I think that there's... For me, and even in this, it's really interesting, but like knowing your intentions, I feel like I have said that 800 times while we've been talking, here we are again, but like there is value in like binging Netflix, right? Like you can like shut your brain off, you can relax and you can have that experience. And there's value in attending the shiny workshops where you don't learn anything. Great networking opportunity. It's a great chance to create some content for your brand and for your social media. It's a great way to like see and be seen. And if that's your intention going into that kind of a workshop, then like, great. But if you're going to one of those workshops with the intention of learning, then you need to create the space around that. So you need to, it's like when you watch something on Netflix that really, really draws you in. I feel like a lot of people recently watched you and that's a show that like you, it's so trashy, but like you got to pay attention to it and there's like twists and turns. And so I found that like, you know, if I put friends on Netflix, I'm just doing that for like noise and like as like a like cozy little experience. But if I'm going to watch something that's like dramatic or, you know, I have to follow the plot points, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to be looking at my phone while I'm watching that show and I'm actually going to absorb more of it. So I feel like knowing why you're attending events really will help create the, the space to take away what you want to take away. So if you find that you're only going to glamorous events and coming home and being like, oh, why is my business not getting better? It's because you're just taking selfies, which like, that's awesome. I'm a big fan, but that's not going to accomplish your bigger goals of like taking in new information and applying it to your business. So just getting clear on your goals. I love it. And I love that you said both sides, like, why are you going? Like, is it for the networking and creating content and for the connections or is it for learning? So knowing your why mm -hmm. and picking accordingly. So based on your journey, ladies, what do you suggest needs to be done in order to better lead entrepreneurs through education in the industry? Like if we were to summarize this conversation and for our listeners to take something away, whether they're in a teaching capacity or an attendee, what would you suggest needs to be done to make it better? I feel like the number one thing for me is that right now it seems to be really popular to do like a one size fits all program. So you can sign up for the webinars or download the things, you know, like the freebies from people's websites. And there's kind of this like, you know, you just like try the dress on and like maybe it's a little lumpy so you belt it. Like, but it's like everybody's getting the same dress. And so you just kind of try and make that information work for yourself. Um, and that is not necessarily from like a teaching side. I don't think that that is actually really serving the audience. So if you are an educator, 
I really would love to see more one-to-one teaching and you know, that's like absolutely paid and charge for your time. And if you have that wisdom to share, like it's, it's invaluable. Um, but when people are investing, I think they want to know the nitty gritty. So like I said, like the design stuff is great. The creative stuff is fun. And maybe that's more of like your Netflix friends, CNBC opportunity. But if you are investing in education for the sake of education, you want to be going in and learning like your industry standards for pricing. And you want to be learning how to file your taxes and what type of business classifications you need and what type of groundwork needs to be laid in order to grow if you want to be growing and always kind of having your eyes on the prize and being able to find somebody who can offer you that tailored information is huge. Yeah, for me, I think I look back to when I was searching for education and I think I was just starving for the details. So when somebody would say, Oh, like I, I now make a living doing this. Like, what does that mean? Like how many dollars are you making? What does a living mean to you? Um, or, you know, just having somebody be real with you. And I think that goes back to what Mallory said about one-on-one, like you can't get those kinds of questions that you have answered in a PDF that you download from the internet. Like maybe you can get a couple of questions answered, but to find something that's super niche and specific for your business, I think you need to seek out the right person first that can answer those questions and then make sure that you're going to get the really specific details that you're looking for. So would both of you say more personalized connection in the education space? Yeah. Huge. Well, I have loved our conversation today, Mallory and Sam. Thank you so much for talking about creating an impact within your industry through leading and teaching others. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Wow. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. On the spot. <laughs> really on the spot. And like, do I have notes for something to leave people with? I think just like the theme of the entire conversation, just surrounding yourself with people who can support you, whether it's, a consultant that you're paying to help you or a friend that owns a business that's helping you make sure you're following through on your goals. Just not being afraid to ask for help from all kinds of different people. Mm. I, one of the ladies in our lady group shared, I think it was a Facebook post with us. And it's something that I find myself coming back to pretty regularly. I wish I could credit who said it, but I have it in a note and I don't know off the top of my head, but this person talked about um, what kind of house you're trying to build. So um, it was a little three little pigs situation, but you know, your house of straw, your house of bricks. And I would really just encourage people to approach education with the idea that you're building a brick house for your business. So always looking at the long term and really valuing the morals that are at the center of your company and always remembering why you started and where you're trying to go. And using that as your guiding light rather than comparing yourself to other businesses on the internet or, you know, it just, it frees you up to try new things and to fail at them and to keep moving forward towards your ultimate goal. When you I'm building this brick house and I feel like those, that's my parting word. Know where you're going, know where you came from. I love it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Sam and Mallory. You can connect with Mallory at formfloral.com or on Instagram at formfloral.
You can also connect with Sam at standardwax.com or on Instagram at standardwax. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Women Who Excel. Continue the conversation about leadership with our VIP listeners inside the academy at littleblackdeskacademy.com. Again, littleblackdeskacademy.com. Enjoy the podcast, share it with a friend, and or leave a review sharing what you enjoyed most and why someone else should listen to it. Let's go lead with excellence.